You're listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. For more information on services and events at our Simpsonville and Greenville locations, visit us online at therenovation.church. Those of you who are gonna be following along in the Bibles and the pews, please turn to page 218. We're looking at 1 Samuel chapter eight. As we turn there, 1 Samuel chapter eight is page 218. I do wanna say for all, Everyone who cooked a side for Thanksgiving on behalf of our staff, thank you. I did not taste anything that was average. Somebody made rice. It was ridiculous. My kids and I loved it. So if Friendsgiving, it was anything like your Thanksgiving this Thursday will be, you guys are in for a treat. Thank you. Seriously, amazing cooks. I'm pretty picky and uh, it was awesome food. Well over 300 people came. Some people said it may have been, anytime the staff estimates on how many people came, if we didn't really count, it's gonna be three, you know, within 100. So three to 400 people came. It was so much fun. Thank you for laughing at that. It was so much fun and we had a good time uh, fellowshipping with you guys. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna start right in. Samuel from childhood. Eli was the high priest. Samuel, as a little boy, heard from God. Many of you guys know that story. Samuel is towards the end of his life and he has served God faithfully. He was not a perfect man by any stretch, but he was a godly, honorable man. He judged Israel. He was a prophet, so he heard from the Lord. He, he also went from town to town and anytime the local leaders would have a dispute or, or something would come up, Samuel would go in there and say, Lord, what do you want us to do? And Samuel was really good at this. And so we're picking this up. First Samuel chapter eight, we're gonna read verses one through seven and then we'll f- skip a couple verses and then and finish the chapter. When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as Israel's leaders. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah, and they served at Beersheba. But his sons did not follow his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gained and accepted bribes and perverted justice. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah, and they said to him, you are old, and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but it is me, they have rejected me as their king. So in the next few verses, the Lord tells Samuel what a king's gonna do. And the Lord says, you warn the people, they're not gonna listen, but you give them a stern warning. Let them know what the king's gonna do to their sons. The sons are gonna be commanders of the army. They're gonna work in the fields. The ladies aren't gonna get off any easier. They're gonna be cooks. They're gonna be bakers. And so essentially all your sons and daughters, anyone the king wants is gonna be his servants. And the Lord also tells Samuel, it won't make a difference, but you tell the people all the best vineyards, all the best fields, they're the kings. He's gonna give it to whoever he wants to and even the fields and vineyards that he keeps, that, that people get to keep, they're gonna have to give the first fruits. They're gonna have to give a 10th of it back to the king. And so basically it's not gonna be a good deal uh, Samuel, you go and tell the people, by the way, they, they won't listen. So he, here's, what, here's what we have. Um, First Samuel 8, we're starting back up in 19 through 22. 
But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we will be like the other nations with the king to lead us and go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel had heard all that the people had said, he repeated it before the, before the Lord. And the Lord answered, listen to them and give them a king. Then Samuel said to the Israelites, everyone go back to your town. So Samuel was a righteous man. Everyone in Israel knew it. And Samuel, his mistake here is appointing, appointing his two sons as king. He shouldn't have done that. He should have had the Lord do that another way. Um, it wasn't his job to do that. And everybody knew it. Everyone in Israel, the elders were like, look, we love you. We, we, we respect you a ton. Hey, hey, buddy, you're getting old. You're not going to be here forever. And your sons are accepting bribe and perverting justice. There's no way we're going to follow them. And so the elders were right by saying, hey, your sons are full of shenanigans. We're not going to follow them. But the elders did it their way. They looked at what the other nations had, the heathen nations, and they said, we want that. And there's a couple reasons for this. Anytime there's a king, okay, you have, uh, you have uh, prestige, you have honor. The king looks like he has everything going on. So he has a lot of money. He's dressed in royal garments. He has influence. He lives in a palace. The Israelites twice in the story say, you know what? That's good enough for us. We want to be like the nations around us. And there's a problem with that. I'm going to tell you just real quick what some of the nations around us were doing. Here's what the Canaanites followed. They followed Baal. Baal was involved in human sacrifice. Baal is well, well known for getting defeated in 1 Kings chapter 18. We know the story. Elijah, one prophet against 450 prophets of Baal. You guys know the story. So they wanted to be like those that follow Baal. The Ammonites were somehow even worse. They practiced witchcraft, sorcery, the occult. King Solomon later on in his reign fell into this and did Solomon did not honor the Lord well. And that's not even mentioned the Babylonians, Assyrians, Egyptians, Philistines. These nations followed heathen, pagan gods. And what the Israelites, the Israelites were looking with their own eyes and they said, give us a king like those nations have to lead us. And the Lord is like, Samuel, give them what they want, but this is not gonna go well. The first king, King Saul, May have started for a minute, okay? King Saul was a terrible king. David was probably, David was the best king. Solomon started great, ended horribly. And after, it just went downhill from there. And so the Israelite leaders, because they saw with their own eyes two sons that were accepting bribes and, just, and justices, they, they, they should have been in the circus. They should have done something else. They should not have led Israel. Because of that, they said, well, there's no other option. We have to be like the pagan kings. And the nation of Israel replaced the word of the Lord with the word of a man. And that did not go well for them. They rejected God as their king. What they should have done is they should have said, okay, Samuel, I know this is gonna be tough for you to hear, but all the elders are saying it. We don't want your two sons. Hey, Samuel, let's go to the Lord and see what he wants us to do. But they jumped right in and they said no to these two, anything's better. And God would have provided something better, but God didn't. God gave them 
what he want, what, what they wanted. And so my first point is the world's way is not better. Even when the world's way looks better, the world's way is never better. And I understand it's enticing. Are you kidding me? We'll get into that in a little bit. And here's a perspective. The title of this message, I don't know if it's up to or not, it, it doesn't matter, but it's settling for a second. I am sometimes amazed at myself sometimes how easily I will settle for second or third or even the worst case scenario in my life. And if I'm honest, some of us are pretty good friends. I know some of you guys really well. I'm, I'm sad when, when any of us settle for something other than God's best in our life. Sometimes we settle for second, third, or, or last place because the right way of doing something takes patience. I know not to pray for that. God will give me opportunities, won't he? That'll be awful for my life in the short term. But in the long run, it'll be great. So... This is where everyone in the church can blackmail me for the rest of my life. Um, Andrew, don't show it yet. Don't show it yet. Okay, good. Good. Show it in a minute. In 1981, and this was not my fault. I was in first grade in 1981. My parents are amazing parents. They really are. But I do not know why my mom decided to cut my hair like this. This is my first grade picture. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So you guys think my kids have blonde hair. Are you kidding me? And my mom blamed me because it's not even for moving. I'm five years old and I'm the one that gets blamed for that haircut. Seriously, what did my dad do when he gets home? Hey, Melissa, how are you? How are the kids? What did you do to Dean Jr.'s hair? Like what, did, did my dad even back me up? I don't think he did. So we had in first grade, uh, Miss Holland, such an amazing first grade. First, first grade teacher, she said, okay, put your name at the top of the page and we are gonna have a square dance. Like seriously, I lived in the northern part of Virginia in 1981. This is President Reagan's first term. It's not my fault I was five years old. I had no control over any of this. And so she said, put, put, put your name on it and pick the three people that you would like to dance with for square dancing. Well, I'm five. I have crushes on half the girls anyway, so it's fine. I'm five years old. I know what's best for my life. And so clearly, Deanna was number one. Kathy was number two. Super cute girls. They were awesome. Third place. Who remembers third place? I have no idea who third place was. But, but she said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to match you guys up to the best of my ability and turn it in. And oh, I was excited for this. And so the day comes where we get our square dancing partners. And I'm not a dancer of any dance, but when you put square in front of it, I'm just already so confused and we're all wearing overalls. I don't understand what's happening. And so we get assigned partners and I get the cutest girl in class, Deanna. And it was awesome. And I was super excited. I was mapping out our life together. It was going to be awesome. I was five. And look, quite honestly, if you can get past that silly haircut, there's a cute boy in there somewhere. Okay, I was cute at five. Okay, just, I, I don't understand what, okay, okay. Such a golly mother. I don't know why she would do that to me. So, so I was super excited because I, I got the girl. And I'm about, I don't know how to dance, but who cares? I'm with the girl, who cares? 
I look at her and I'm smiling. I can probably see her because my hair was just cut. I am smiling. She realizes she's with me and she is not as excited as I was. I don't know if I was second or a distant third. To be honest, there was only 20 people in our class. There was only 10 guys and 10 girls. I had to have been in the top three, but I was a distant second or third. And she was so put out. I don't know the rules of square dancing, but there is a song, there's there's one song, either the teacher yells something or there's a little whistle and you switch partners. You know what I'm talking about? That was the only dance that she liked. When she was dancing with me, her little, I ruined her life somehow. It was miserable. And so I still had a good time because I didn't settle. I had my first pick. I had what was best for my life. Poor little Deanna, I ruined her life. I was her second or I was her third choice. And I know it's kind of silly, but in spiritual matters, Please take that picture off, never to be seen again. (laughs) Thank you. But in spiritual matters, it is so important for us to say, God, what do you want for me? Lord, don't, I'm not asking for the easy thing. I'm not five years old. Lord, what is what's best for my life? And it's so important not to settle for second, not to settle for third. Maybe I was last and the teacher disliked me. Maybe I was Deanna's last pick. I don't even know. But don't settle for second. Don't settle for last. I feel like somewhere along the line, we, we have this mindset or perspective of God. What does God want from me? I can't do this. I can't do that. I can't have fun. The world is out there having fun. And for some reason, part of us, maybe not most of us, but part of us is like, I want that. And God isn't saying, God isn't saying, what does God want from me? God is saying, hey, my son, hey, my daughter, this is what I want for you. And there's a huge difference with that. God wants what's best in your life and he wants what's best in my life. God's best for us is honoring Christ. God's best for us is Christ. God wants you, think about this. God wants you and I to be holy and blameless. And I know the people I'm talking to. I know the man in the mirror. I am not holy. I am not blameless. But through Christ, he sees us because he has forgiven our sins as holy and blameless. Choosing second best. You know what? At one o'clock, there's a team from Dallas. I don't really want to say their name, but they're playing the Panthers. Can you imagine rooting for the team for Dallas? Talk about second place. There's 31 other teams that you could be rooting for. And by the way, they might win today because it's the regular season. It's not playoffs, so there's a chance they'll win. Why would you want to wait 27 years to win a championship? Wouldn't that be silly to choose the worst? I know it's silly, but what about this? What about having an opportunity to get even? The world says if you get even, people will respect you, whether you're a guy or girl, it doesn't matter. You'll be macho if you're a guy. You'll be strong if you're a lady. Get even. What about this? Somebody gets you, okay? Whether it's on purpose or accident. Sometimes we're mad at people and they don't even know what they did. That's not fair to them. But sometimes, sometimes the world says, hold a grudge. Here's what a grudge does. 
It allows bitterness in our hearts. It allows bitterness in our souls. The other people aren't affected at all because they don't even know. But the world says, hold a grudge. That'll show them. And we're speaking death. We're drinking death upon our own lives. What about this? This is something that, that gets just about everyone. We wanna take the highest seat. We, we wanna be called sir this or ma'am this or respected or whatever. And there's nothing wrong with doing the right things. But a lot of times we're like given a, given a chair or given a seat and we're like, eh, I'm just gonna build that a little bit bigger. I'm gonna see, the Lord says, take the lowest seat. The Lord says, you wanna lead? Then serve. Peter had a mess of a time allowing Jesus to wash his feet because Peter was like, there's no way you're serving me. Jesus was so emphatic. He says, if I don't do this, have nothing to do with me. We wanna take the highest seat. Our culture says, take what's yours. Stiff arm, great, do it. God says something very different. Another area in our life, if I'm honest, that we choose second place is intimacy in our marriages. I'm talking about intimacy within a marriage. When this happens, there are hundreds of chemicals and hormones that are released during intimacy. Things happen in our brains that are calming there's a deep sense of satisfaction. We're more happy. We're more optimistic about things. That should be no surprise to many of us. Our central nervous system is completely affected when these chemicals and hormones are released. We have stronger feelings towards each other. We are bonding with our spouse. We are connecting with our spouse. Physically, emotionally, and as believers, we know there's a spiritual component to this. God set this up. God designed intimacy in marriage, and it's beautiful. Our lives are best when this happens. Now, here's, here's what we do. And so for, for everyone here who's never made a mistake, don't say anything, because so the rest of us can still be friends with you, Okay. But we say, well, Dean, maybe I haven't done that. How about this? Jesus says, whoever looks at a woman with lust commits adultery. So I think everyone just quickly just put down their stones and said, okay, okay, Lord, you got us. We feel like because God put guardrails up for us, for safety, for protection, he doesn't want us to have fun. And by the way, he doesn't know what's best for us. I'm gonna go over here. I'm gonna do my thing over here. And sometimes... Many times, sin is fun for a very short season, and then it, ends, then it ends in death. It ends horribly. Anytime someone says, oh, how's my relationship with, with someone else? And they answer, complicated. I don't say it, because I still want to be friends with them. I don't say it, but I'm like, oh, so you've been intimate. And maybe I do say it if I'm dear friends with them. God set this up, and he wants you to be holy and blameless, and quite honestly, God created this. Satan didn't. Satan is trying to destroy it, but our lives are blessed when we choose God's best every single time. And over here isn't second place. It's the absolute worst in our lives. Think about this. Do you think for one second that God wants as, as his son or his daughter you to have second best? 
or third best. Guys, it's not even close. God wants what is best in our lives. It's as parents of toddlers or teenagers or whoever, sometimes as, as, as my kids aren't adults yet, but sometimes, you know, it, it could be as adults. We know what's best for our sons and daughters. Let's take a toddler. We know if they wanted to play kickball, it would not be best if they did it on Fairview Road on Friday. We know, it's, we know that's not best. Hey, buddy, you want to play kickball. We're not doing it in the street. Go in the Anderson's backyard. They already said it's a huge field. Go play, have a good time. If they fall down, it's plush grass. They'll get hurt a little bit. They're, they're fine. We know what's best for kids. We know what's best for our kids. And we're parents that are flawed. God knows what's best for us, and he's not flawed. Not one bit. And so I just encourage you, if any of these are hitting home with you, then we don't need to do it our way anymore. God knows what's best. Sometimes we just say, okay, God, you know what's best. I'm gonna stop doing it my way. Lord, forgive me. Lord, please forgive me. Forgive us. The second point that I wanna share with you guys is God always wants what's best for you. Not for other people, not for your neighbor, twice removed, who's a saint. God wants what's best for you. Psalm 84:11 says, for the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk as blameless. If you want peace with the Lord, if you want your soul satisfied, I would just strongly encourage you, and I'm talking to myself too, don't settle. There's no reason to. Don't settle. Jesus talked to the woman at the well and says, if, if you drink from the water I give you, you'll never be thirsty again. She realizes she's speaking to the Messiah and she says, I want this. I, I, I want this. I desire this. Can you imagine never being thirsty for wickedness again? Okay, go to Jesus. That's it. I know I'm saying let's make wise choices and be goody goodies. That's not the spirit of this. The spirit of this is, Lord, I'm a sinner. I've messed up. I'm going to stop doing it my way. I'm doing it your way. Only you can provide me the peace that I need. Only you can restore my soul. Only you have the water that I will drink and I will never thirst again. Hebrews 11 is the faith chapter. It's nicknamed the, the hall of faith. In there, I'm gonna just briefly describe three characters. Moses is listed here as a righteous person. Moses was a murderer. Rahab was a prostitute but she feared God enough to hide Joshua's spies. Rahab, the prostitute, is listed here as a faithful, godly woman. Jacob is a deceiver. His name means deceiver. He was a manipulator. He played favorites with his 12 sons. If you want your kids to have issues, play favorites and do it, put it on thick. And Jacob did that. The 12 sons of Israel, Jacob uh, was their dad. But one night, Jacob wrestled with the Lord and the Lord turned Jacob's heart. So there's hope for us. 
you're probably not a murderer. Maybe in heart, but I don't know that you've gone out and committed murder. Are you worse than a prostitute and a manipulator and a deceiver? I didn't think so. Oh, we have issues, I know. We have issues. But God can forgive us. He listed these three people. And, and you could, you could li- read Hebrews 11. It's a list of like, are you kidding me, God? The, him, her? God says, yes, they're my sons, they're my daughters. And so God can use you. So there's hope for us. Please don't allow your theology, not God's, please don't allow your theology to say, okay, God can use him over there. God can use her. That person's perfect. So of course, okay, great. But I don't think God can use me. Please don't allow your theology to think that. Rebecca and I uh, recently or been, been reading First John to, to the children. First John has five chapters. Second and third John are each very short. I would encourage you, if you want a lot of healthy theology about what God's children do, what they don't do, how much God loves us, I would encourage you, homework for this week, Thanksgiving week, read First John. You will not regret it. There are so many, scripture is full and scripture is without error. Scripture is holy. Scripture leads us to Jesus. There are words of life in scripture. I'd encourage you, read first, second, and third John. Recently, um, I asked a a friend who had been been in a pretty tough time, pretty tough season, Um, really dear friend, couldn't get out of his own way. Um, Just you name the, the addiction, it, it was probably it dealt, with, dealt with some drugs and alcohol. Um, and I can relate to that in part. And so my friend just, just, just battled for years and years, just battled. And then some, something, something switched. It, it just clicked. He, 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 he's clean. And so I asked him, I said, what do you feel like? because now you don't have all of that stuff in your system. The word that he said was, I have freedom. Freedom probably for the first time, maybe in a decade, maybe, maybe longer. And so he said, there's hope. What he would used to do is, is wake up, go for the first fix, and then you're done after that. All you're doing is just trying to find the next fix. And I'm telling you guys, maybe not in the exact addiction, but I've been there, chasing things that I had no business chasing. And if you're honest with yourself, you've probably been there too. And I said, and, and this is a rhetorical question because I knew the answer to this. And so I, I was talking to my buddy and I said, so put a price tag on that. You, you now can breathe. You now have eyes that can see. You now, when you're reading the scriptures, it's not just mm, so you can tell mom and dad I did it or tell somebody I did it, my pastor I did it. Now you're reading scripture because you know it contains the words of life. I said, put a price tag on that. He goes, priceless, you can't. You may have been in a season where you were completely intoxicated on whatever you were on and you made it out somehow, probably God's grace. And now you know that you have peace. You know that you're forgiven. 
You know that you have hope and you know that you have a future and that future is in Jesus and you are free. That is the difference between doing it our way because sometimes we know what's best and sin is fun for a short season even though it leads to death. That is the difference between doing it our way and doing it God's way. I want each of us to have freedom in Christ. Jonah prayed this prayer when he was in the belly of a whale. Jonah 2.8, this verse spoke so much to me. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. The grace could be ours, but we are so willing to be deceived or quite honestly to deceive ourselves and say, ah, God's grace, <laughs> I'm good, I'm, I'm good. My third and final point, let's accept the grace that God is offering us. Who wants to forfeit grace in your life? Nobody, nobody would willingly with a clean conscience, clear mind, not drunk on whatever, no one would say, yes, I'm, gonna, I'm willing to give up on grace. There's no one. And so I'd encourage you, accept the grace that God has given you. 3,000 years ago, the Israelites replaced grace, replaced peace, because they followed nations that sacrificed children. They followed nations that practiced witchcraft. I would encourage you, and those are two barbaric things, but the things we do aren't much better because all sin separates us from God. I would encourage you, let's not have anything in our lives that take God's place. We're to take communion in a minute and I want us <clears throat> if you don't have a communion cup there's some in the back so please if you don't have one uh, we'll, we'll get you one I want us for a minute to bow our hearts before the Lord I want us to talk to your creator just for a minute and, and by the way, as we do this, I wanna, I wanna mention communion is for believers. If you have not accepted Christ as your savior, uh, this cup is not for you yet. This is a blessing that God's children have to be able to take communion, to remember what Christ did on the cross for us, not what we did, not how great we are, but how great he is. And so I would just encourage you Bow your heart for a minute or two. I know it'll seem like a lot longer. Just bow your heart for, for a minute and just go to your creator and thank God for the sacrifice that he has done for you and for me. Thanks for listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. Find out more about following Jesus and building his kingdom at therenovation.church.